Welcome to Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and the National Coach of the Year. I'm your host, Bruce Dobigan, here with the man who's also been selected among the top 50 elite junior golf coaches in the United States. In these podcasts, we're going to explore everything from the inner game of golf to the latest innovations in equipment and the influencers who shared Paul's unique approach to the sport. In episode one, we're talking about preparing for the new season. In Paul's pointers, he'll give us a little guidance on whether we should be getting some new equipment, maybe upgrading that driver or buying an expensive putter. Then in playing the field, I'll talk to Paul about assessing the performance of Canada's top PGA and LPGA players as the tour headed into the Masters. And so without further ado, the man himself, Paul Horton, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Good, and I, we've both been kind of looking forward to doing these podcasts, but there's a couple of people you wanted to recognize before we got into them. Yeah, I'd like to thank my sponsors and partners, uh, PGA of Canada, the PGA of Alberta, also uh, Heritage Point Golf Club, uh, Nike, and Callaway, uh, as in a Callaway ambassador, and also Aimpoint uh, Technologies. Yeah, you got quite a lineup there. It's good. Good, good to be supported. <laughs> now, of course, depending on where you are in Canada, you're either uh, getting your first rounds in or, like his, us here in Calgary, you're looking at snow banks that have yet to melt. Uh, we're anxious to get going, but we don't know how to prepare for the season unless we're out there hitting balls. But there's obviously a lot more to it than just hitting balls, and as you well know, Paul, how do I mentally get myself ready to stand on the first tee whenever I finally get there and be able to carry over good things I had from last fall? I think there's there's lots you can do through the winter, obviously, um, and we'll expand upon those. Um, I think it's important to understand that there's four seasons to golf. There's there's a preseason, there's an in-season or a competitive season, so I coach a lot of competitive players, uh, and we use a periodization uh, sort of model to uh, work the, the whole calendar year for them. And there's a postseason to golf uh, towards the end of the season, and, and then there's the off-season, which is important too. So... Um, you know, some off season for people is two weeks, uh, and some it's two or three months or more. So the, the average golfers maybe got a longer off season, but the competitive players that I work with, uh, will have, they should have some off season. They should sort of just chill out and, and recharge. And, and so as it comes into this time, is that a good thing to reach? I mean, you, you know, I mean, some people just want to keep going. Is it really good for golfers occasionally to take a break? Absolutely. So you need to just shut it down and, and do something else, right? Um, j just so you don't get burnout, right? It, it's uh, it's helpful to do whatever else excites you. So just get away from golf for whether it's two weeks or two months. Um, take some time off. This time of year, as as the Masters uh, is here, and um, it's kind of the start of the season for Canada. Um, I think there's um, you know mentally, people tend to practice. Um, you know, they, they practice unconsciously and they have no awareness, the general player out there. And what does that mean? Well, they, they're just hitting balls, basically. They're getting exercise and they're sort of on autopilot and they're really not aware of any changes or, or improvements that they may want to try to make. And then they go out and play and they play consciously, meaning they have a lot of clutter in their head. And, and so, um, you know, they need to, to work that out mentally. So there, there's a... There's a left brain and a right brain, and the left the left brain is the analytical side, and we need to get to the right brain when we play golf. And too many golfers get stuck in the the analytical side, and I got to do A B C D, 
you know, EFG and all that stuff, and, and um, which really adds too much clutter and you need to clear your mind. So one of the ways to do that is, is when you're practicing, you, you need to have a, a balance of block practice and random practice. So block practice would be um, hitting the same club, like a 7-iron to the 150 marker, and you're hitting a series of balls for, for uh, uh, you know, 30, 50, 100 balls, and you're doing the same thing over and over and over. And there's a time and place for that if you're working on technique. Um, and then there needs to be a balance of random practice, which is more target focus and shot focus. So you play golf instead of play golf swing. Um, and there needs to be the proper balance. So I think in a typical practice session, you want to have a warm-up, a work session, and a play session. So I think on average, if you had 25% of your time to, to do random practice or, or you need to test yourself, uh, find a way to, to do drills or games that, that would test um, whether you're improving or not or, or test for that day, right? Because yeah. I'm always, as, as an amateur, I'm always wondering – how many seven irons should I hit? Should I hit three in a row? Should I just hit one, then go to another club? Because when you're golfing, you're never hitting the same club twice traditionally. What's a good way to sort of structure that practice? How many times should I hit a club at a time, et cetera? I think it depends on what you're working on. So the, the winter time is really the best time to, to, to make some changes in swing mechanics. And you've got uh, a few months of, in, in, in Canada, there's several months of winter, especially in Calgary. Um, and, and so that's the best time to really work through those things. So you're not, um, you don't have the opportunity to go out and play, right? Which, which might interrupt your, your process there. So, um, if you're in that state and you're making a, a technical change in your swing, then there's a little bit more block practice at first. Uh, you mix in some random practice. So it's, it's hard to say that you need to hit X number of seven irons, but you, you want to build your skill and then you want to test it. Um, so I think 25% of random practice is a good starting point, but as you get closer to playing golf and closer to the season and maybe closer to some events that, that you might be playing in, um, then you need to ramp up that random practice. And, and you know the, the research shows that the random practicer will maybe not perform as well in practice but perform better in play, and the block practicer performs better initially in practice and not so well in, in the play. When we go to hit balls off, off a, at a range or, or something along those lines, we're hitting off of artificial surfaces, et cetera. Is there, is there anything about them that's different that we should take into account that doesn't necessarily carry over when we finally get onto the grass? Yeah, there's different types of mats that, that you hit off of. Some are firm, some are uh, bristles or brushes that, that are a little bit more... Um, they're softer, a little more... Uh, they're easier on your joints. The firm ones can can take its toll so um we're just limited with with uh you know the the snow and, and whatnot and so we there is difference especially in the short game stuff so we we get really challenged in short game stuff because we can't simulate lies in in grass and if you go to florida there there's bermuda grass and and down in phoenix it's dormant and there's ryegrass mixed in there so it's the kids that go and travel and play in certain events that i work with that are going to different climates. Typically in the south, they have to deal with not only the altitude change and, and the turf conditions changing. So right. it, it's hard for them to just sort of parachute in and, and uh, get right into it. 
Now, you mentioned about right brain, left brain stuff. Uh, you know, again, we're sitting on the couch watching these events, uh, getting ourselves mentally prepared and all jacked up, etc. What do you mean when you say left brain, right brain? How can I get myself a little more prepared by understanding what that means? Well, left brain is just you're your too analytical, uh, thinking about all the details. The right brain is is allowing your instincts to take over. So ideally, you want to find a way to bypass the prefrontal cortex of the brain and go into the cerebellum at the back of the, the brain so you can tap into your instincts. And that, that's when you really play your best golf. Mm. And some players, uh, all players are different and that some might need a mental cue to take with them on the golf course and some don't need that and mm -hmm. some can play just with instinct and, and really zeroed in on uh, focusing on the target. I use a, a device called Focus Band. It's a, it's a headband that measures your brain waves. So when I work with, with my players, it tells me whether they're more left brain or more right brain. It's a really cool technology. And we go through training and we train them how to, to go from left brain to right brain. And Jason Day's been using it for about three years now and, and you see him sort of close his eyes bet between his shot or before his shot, and he's just trying to get in to, to find his zone to sort of play the shot. So once you envelope yourself uh, in this cocoon of uh, all about the shot and the feeling that you need to have to create the shot, then it, it, it makes reality a little bit, you know, the percentages go up to create that shot. Not, not to belabor it, but w when you see that with one of your pupils, good, bad, or indifferent pupil, and you see right brain, what do you say to change that? Uh, it, it might take uh, some initial quiet time to, to sit down in a, just a quiet space and sort of understand uh, what goes on. And, and uh, I've had students that, that get it right away and students that struggle to you know, so on this focus band, there's there's uh, levels from one to a hundred, and we gear the the levels down to where they can kind of try and get it, yeah. and then we ramp the levels up as they start to get it, and, and so they they start to figure out eventually what it takes to sort of lose that that technical stuff, uh, you know, so they can focus on let's you know when you throw a ball, you don't think about um, you know load shift throw you're you're just thinking about target and throw the ball yeah. um and the last thing that that goes is is the ball the release of the ball but you're in the act of releasing it right from the get-go it just technically it, or biomechanically it doesn't leave until the end it's the same in golf right so it's uh it's just trying to be um single focus so your focus has to be um uh, singular and not not on multiple areas. So if I threw one ball at you, and you could probably catch the ball, and if I threw four golf balls in the air to, that you had to catch, you might not catch any of them because you don't know where to go, right? And you might you might just lose all four of them. So yeah. uh, you also, as you mentioned early on, that you coach players at different levels. You coach elite players. You also coach uh, young players, and then some some duffers and amateurs once in a while. Um, how is your approach different with each of them? I think it depends on the, the the time they have to commit. So the adult player um, that's that's in the business world doesn't have the same amount of time that that the the juniors that I work with or these collegiate players that uh, and they they they're busy too with school and whatnot. So there's a time and space for them to practice, but but they typically dedicate more time to practice, and and so um, you know they they tend to. Uh, 
uh, improve maybe at a, at a faster rate just because they have more time to put into it. But it just, so I gear all my programs around the, 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 the time that the player has to commit. And then we, we, um, we try to build a, a swing for that player. And it's not a, uh, I don't teach a methodology where you, everybody swings the same way. It's just how can we enhance what, what the player's already doing. So, you know, a lot of players that, you know, about half the people out there don't take lessons and, and, you know, lots of them are afraid or some that have taken it have, have had a poor experience. And, and really it's, it's, uh, it can make a huge difference if you have the right coach and, uh, there's lots of good ones out there in Canada. Are there some books or reference works that you go back to time and again that you would recommend to 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 the average player? And that could be a video, that could be a book, it could be a, a, something along those lines. Are there ones? Are there ones that you point out to people that you think are really helpful? Uh, there are preparing for the season. Uh, yes, uh, there's there's so many teachers and, and great coaches that I've learned from through through the years and. You know, if I mention some names, I'll, I'll likely leave some out, and the list is quite lengthy. So I try and take a little bit from from each of those people that I've learned from over the years, and and um, it really uh, uh, th- there's a few books that come to mind. So the one of my favorite mental books is by Fred Shoemaker. It's, it's called uh, Extraordinary Golf, um, and it's a it's an older book, but it's an easy read. Um, and I often recommend that to some of my students that, that are trying to get a little help on the mental side. Mm-hmm. But there's really so much out there that, that uh, you know, it's tough for me to mention just a few of them. But, uh, you know, it's... it's um, well, for, for instance, is there some... Val- Harvey Penix books were got a lot of sales over the last number of years. Is there some value to the average player reading them or should you just, just take them as entertainment? No, I, I think there's value in that. So some of those old books, like Harvey Penick, uh, great book, yeah. um, and, and very simple stuff, right? But a strong message is given, and, and that's why he was a great teacher, right? And I think the um, you know typically the the good teachers know the cause and effect of what happens with with the golf shots, but the great teachers know what to overlook. Uh, and and often as a young teacher you get in there and you want to fix everything and and maybe it's not necessary you need to know what to overlook and and say well this guy doesn't need that right now he needs this because this is going to help him the most you know in in this time space we have and and you want to avoid paralysis by analysis by reading or thinking too 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 much as, as you head into the season yeah absolutely now, one of the things we're going to do in, in the podcast is we're going to do a little segment we call uh, Paul's Pointers. And uh, in some cases, once we get back onto the grass and we start hitting some balls here in earnest, we'll talk a little bit about mechanical stuff. But another of the things that happens over the course of the winter, we go to the golf shows in our home city. Uh, we, we, we look at our clubs in the, in the basement or maybe we go on a little trip south, etc. But we start to think about the equipment we're using and sh- what should we do going into the season. Is this the time to think about getting new equipment or is, is, is maybe that later in the season? What, what should we be doing vis-a-vis equipment at this time of the year? I think there's on, on TV there's a lot of infomercials and you know, there's a lot of gimmicks out there. Um, you know, I would recommend instead of those uh, gimmicky clubs that, that go and get some good coaching first. But this is a great time of the year to, 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 uh, to look at new gear. There's, there's lots of great equipment out there uh, from all the companies and, and you know, with, with different technologies. And it amazes me that there's always new technology. You think, well, how much more can they do? And there's, there's something always on stream. So... You know, I myself have played the Epic driver from Callaway last year, and and this year the Rogue drivers, 
is the, the audio on it is much better to my ear and and it's more forgiving and and the performance is is better so i'm i'm upgrading my driver to to the rogue and and the three wood and so forth and you know i'm quite happy with my callaway iron so i i'm not encouraged to um to update those because I'm I'm feeling good with my wedges and that, but people need to take a look at their equipment and if if it's outdated, it's worthwhile to test the new gear, uh, even to go in and get. You should get fitted in the spring, uh, even with your old gear to see if it needs a tweak here and there because the lie angles can change. Um, so I encourage all my competitive players, especially, to go and make sure their equipment gets checked out. And then you can test your gear against the new gear. And if, if there is a significant enough change to, to worthy a purchase, then, then you're, you're making a, an intelligent decision there. Because some people would wonder, I would wonder, well, maybe I should play a few times in the season, maybe get into it a little bit, and then make the decision on clubs. But you think there's merit to starting the year with a new set of clubs and a new technology? Yeah, the sooner the better, right? You're, you've got, you know, a stretch here where we're not open, uh, certainly not in Calgary yet. Um, and so we're off to a late start. So, you know, get after some new gear and, and test it out. And, and you might get enticed to, hey, this this really works or this technology is helping me. So I'm going to take advantage of it and may as well we'll do it right off the bat. I know aim point is one of your big concerns and you do, do a lot of uh, instructing, etc. with that. Putters are another thing. Everybody in his garage seems to have five or six different putters, etc. What's what's your thinking on on putters? And again, is it the same philosophy heading into the new season about using a new technology, or maybe should we start the season with one we've been comfortable with and at least get things started? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think back to the year when uh, Jim Furyk won the FedEx Championship, won ten million dollars, and he he won it with a thirty nine dollar putter that they found in a barrel in a pro shop. <laughs> And it, it just felt and looked good to him. And so the the technology on putters has really taken off in the last several years. And um, so they're 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 better balanced. They're they're just better made. Uh, but doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna you know putt better than the putter you have. So uh, you know my partner Bob MacArthur has an old putter from the '50s, and and he's never changed. So if you have something that you like, there's no need to change it. But uh, it's often worthwhile to, if you're struggling with your putting, that just to get a new look, uh, it can give you a, a boost of uh, just a psychological boost to, yeah. to, to, to make it look better, look different. And it might be a temporary change where you, you go back to Old Faithful. Um, you know, my son just played in a collegiate event and he switched putters because he wasn't putting very well. And, and he putted okay, but he said it's a temporary change. I'm just going to go back. I needed some, something different to look at. Because we hear this all the time, guys on the tour going back to an old putter, and you may, you mentioned Furyk and people like that, and you start to think, well, yeah, what's technology worth in golf in terms of putters if guys can use those ones and or we can use them and get and good results? And and it sort of adds to our confusion, I suppose, about what we're doing. Yeah, it, it does, and and you know the putters today are they're they're really well made, and they're they're lots of them are expensive, but. You know, it's whatever feels good in your hand and whatever helps your stroke. So there's there's a certain thing about putter fitting in terms of how players uh, see their line. So it's imp important to get a, a model of putter, be it a mallet putter or a blade putter, that that helps you line the ball up more easily. Mm -hmm. um, there's face balance and there's, there's, you know, putters with toe hang. And you need the right putter for you. And so I would just recommend getting a proper fitting um, to make sure that, 
that you're on the right track. As I say, every uh, one of the podcasts, we're going to be doing this, this and we're going to call this segment uh, Paul's Pointers. And uh, this pointer has been what to, what to do about equipment. And uh, the takeaway is now is the best time to start using the new technology. Absolutely. Now, one of the other things we want to do as well as, as, as we go through the season is also keeping an eye, because you have taught many elite players, some of the professional peoples, also want to have you sort of uh, Horty's handicap as well. Start looking a little bit and telling uh, some of your ideas on what you're seeing from some of the pros, uh, Canadian pros who are on the tour. Uh, Adam Hadwin, obviously high profile. Uh, he's uh, 37th as he was heading into the Masters. He's made $1,161,000 going to the Masters. He'd probably be our pre- Premier guy, what's your sense of Adam Hadwin and where he is in his career development now? Do you think he's peaked, or has he got room to go? He's got room to go. He's he's done very well. He's he's had three top tens this year. Um, he's he's uh, when I looked at his stats earlier in the week, um, you know, I don't know his game intimately, but I know looking at stats where he might need to work on, and he's very good at three putt avoidance, so he doesn't three putt very much. But he also doesn't make uh, enough one putts, so he's really he's not making those one putts for birdies, um, and he needs to improve that category. The rest of it looks really good, so I I see bright future for him. Yeah, he's he's certainly encouraging to to watch him. I was a little surprised by Nick Taylor being as high up as he is in the rankings. I can't can't remember an event where I th- saw him in the top ten list. But he's ninety fourth. Uh, he's second ranked uh, Canadian on the list. Uh, not doing too badly. Yes, and I. Uh, actually overlooked him and when I was looking up the Canadians but you know he won last year uh, he's very capable and, and he's he's on the rise too so he'll uh, he'll definitely improve from where he's at I think now one of the guys who's had a pretty high profile this spring is Corey Connors uh, had the unfortunate incident going into the last round at the Viles bar ahead the the collapse the Stephen Ames collapse Mike Weir had a collapse like that etc What's your sense about a guy when he gets in that position? What, why that happens in that situation? Is, is it pressure or, or, or is it losing his swing? What, what do you think it is? Well, if you look at uh, all the greats, you know, Nick Faldo was Nick Foldo. Uh, back in the day, Tom Watson failed many times. A lot of these great players have won lots of major championships. They failed early on, and, and I think it's just it's a learning experience and a stepping stone, and uh, obviously, he can. Sh- he shows that, uh, or has showed that he can play with with the best in the world and and be at the top of the leaderboard. And if he gets the next opportunity, if he's learned from that, he'll he'll make better strides. And so it's it's just learning, and you you can't replace experience. So it's hard to 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 jump out and just win in your first crack at it. Yeah. What do you like about his game? Well, he's he's got a really good long game. He's tee to green. He's very strong. Um, he drives the ball very well. Um, you know, looking at his stats, he just needs to work on his putting more than anything else, and his uh, maybe short game a little bit, but mostly putting and improving those stats. Ben Silverman, another name we don't hear much of, but he's he's certainly in the top 125. He's a guy who'll keep his card if the if the year ended today. He's 112 going into the Masters. What do you like about Ben Silverman? Well, I don't know a lot about Ben, but but uh, you know he's he's quietly snuck in the top twenty-five, and we haven't heard a lot about him. But uh, you know, if he has a few good, all you need is a few good weeks in the year to sort of make the season right. And, and he's he's very capable. So um, I I don't know enough about his game to to speak on the details, but uh, I'm encouraged by his play. 
And finally, the guys who we would consider the veterans of the Canadian tour, uh, David Hearn, uh, Graham Delat. Graham obviously dealing with some injury issues. Uh, David, still, it's still not necessarily happening for him. First of all, your sense about Graham finally coming back and being pain-free. What do you see as his prognosis? Well, it's too early to tell, but it's tough with the injury he's dealing with. And, and uh, so we'll just have to wait and see in terms of how, how he feels physically um, and, and mentally, too. It, if you've had an injury and you're coming back from it, there's that, that uh, uncertainty of whether you're going to have pain or not. And so it, it really depends on how he's feeling physically that, that will help him mentally. And David? Uh, David, uh, you know, he's, I'm not sure what's going on there, whether there's uh, uh, some mind games or, or not, but typically when players, you know, lose their game a little bit, it, it becomes more mental than physical, um, and it's just finding themselves again, so it's, it's maybe stepping back to, to reflect on what's happened and taking some time and then getting back into the fray and, and, and you know, going back to his coach and, and trying to figure things out. And, of course, probably the most prominent Canadian golfer we have is Brooke Henderson on, on the, the LPGA Tour. Uh, has had a couple of really good finishes and then has missing, been missing some cuts lately, a little bit erratic. Uh, where's your sense on Brooke's uh, career right now, where she's at? And, and uh, you know, a little erratic, but seems to be on, on course for, for maybe another major. Yeah, she's had three top tens in the first seven events and. Um, she's probably not as high on the money list as she would like to be. I think she's a top 10 player on the tour and, um, she's done quite well, but she needs to focus a little bit more on improving the, the short game and the putting, uh, seems to be a theme here for a lot of the players, but she's a, she's a long hitter. She's maybe not as accurate off the tee, but with her length that she gains advantage with her driver and, and she's fearless. So she, you know, I have no no question that she'll uh, contend in a lot of events this year, and, and she's not afraid to win, and she's not afraid to win big wins. They go Horty's handicap as we look at some of the pros on the tour. Uh, because, again, you know some of the up-and-coming people. Just give us one name of somebody who, is, who we may hear coming up through the web.com or through the Canadian tour. Just one name that uh, maybe you're interested in we should keep our eye on. Uh, good question. You, you got me on the spot here because, uh, you know, um, uh, Patton Kazir has, has, has played really well, and, and his name might not be known to many out there, but uh, he's he's near the top. and So he's, he's uh, I don't know if he'd be a surprise, but he'd be a surprise to, to a lot of golf fans out there. Uh, the, the avid golfer uh, may or may not know him that well, but he's, he's an up-and-comer for sure. How about a Canadian? Canadian... Um, you know, I, I like Corey Connors. I, I like what he's done early, and, and uh, I think he has more to show. So there you go. Horty's Handicap. We'll uh, keep an eye on that as we go through these podcasts. Let, let, let's try to sum up a little bit and, and give some people some takeaways, some bullet points here from what we've talked about today. Uh, the focus was we're about to start the season or we're just starting the season, some of the people. First of all, just give us a bullet point on what we talked about in terms of preparation and what we should be looking forward to doing in that first pra practice session or that first round. Again, it's it's a, a balance between block practice and random practice. Um, try to have a, try to test yourself in your practice. So towards the end of your practice session, um, you know whether you imagine a twenty yard wide fairway and you're working on your driver, you want to make sure that you can play a game and quantify or measure the the results that you have so you can see if you're making progress 
Um, there's all kinds of other games. I, I like to use a, what I call a five-point game with my players, and, and each shot you put a value of five points on the shot itself, um, five points being the perfect shot and one not so much. And you hit a series of 20 shots, a ran, random selection of a variety of different shots, and, and so you have a, a score out of 100 um, you know, the perfect shot in golf, as we know, it doesn't happen that often, and it, it might happen a handful of times or less to the, to the tour player during a round of golf. Um, so if you were to get, you know, somewhere in that uh, 60 to 80 range, you're doing pretty good in terms of the overall score. But at least you can measure um, how you're making out um, and track your progress. Hopefully you can see it when it lands in the snow, which we still have here. We're hitting onto the snow, so it's not always easy to score it in quite the same way. All right, uh, Paul's pointers, equipment, takeaway today, never too early. Never too early. Get out there and look at some of the new gear. Test it out. Test it against your product that you have, and, and uh, you, you may find, hey, there's, there's enough of a performance difference here that I need to make a move. Or maybe your gear is just uh, getting dated and it's time for a change. The other thing that would be uh, good to look at is your grips. Right? Often people don't look at their grips, and you know the average tour player is changing their grips about once a month. Right, and they're playing a lot more golf and, and hitting more balls than most of us. But um, you know, definitely take a look at your grips. They they can get worn down, and if if they're shiny and worn, it's like holding on to a, a shaft with no grip. It's it's very difficult. So they're not that expensive, and it's a worthwhile investment to get those changed. And finally, uh, Horty's handicapping. Obviously, we're kind of stale dated here. We're talking just before the Masters, so this will be a little dated. We're not going to talk too much about it. But your sense is if there's one Canadian that uh, that you really feel is the one to watch, it's probably Adam Hadwin as we go forward, heading to the players and maybe to the U.S. Open. Yeah, right now he's he's ranked the highest, and he's probably the best player. And if he improves his putting a little bit, is make makes a few more one-putts out there, uh, he'll definitely uh, be in there. It'll be interesting to see what happens at the Masters and the players upcoming. Um, but I, uh, I think he's going to do well. Because it's possible to go to the, to go to Augusta and putt on those greens and either have the round of your life the way Mike Weir did, or else you can lose your confidence for a good long time. Yeah, there's just they're so fast and there's a lot of slope and and you know you you just can't uh, you have to be on the proper side of the hole and and a lot of putts you're protecting. Uh, if you're on the wrong side and, and you just have to know the place. And I think Adam will, he's, he's, his stroke is fine. He just needs to, to get his mind straight f to make those birdies. Give us a shout out again to your sponsors. Yeah. I'd like to thank heritage point golf club, uh, the PGA of Alberta, the PGA of, of Canada, uh, also to Nike that, that supplies me with, with, sh you know, apparel and shoes and head, head to toe. Um, Always looking good, always feeling good, and and also to Callaway Golf, uh, you know they've been a, a great supporter of mine, and and I'm proud to be an ambassador for them. Also, Aimpoint Technologies. And we're hoping next time maybe we'll have a little bit more information, some exciting new possibilities for us that you're working on. I know that you're excited about them. Hopefully we'll get them the next time. You've been listening to the first installment of Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. I'm your host, Bruce Dobigan. We'll look forward to chatting again. You can find the podcast on the PGA of Canada website, on iTunes, and on my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Till next time, hit them straight.